0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. In case you are wondering who that was, you might be. Um, That's my son, Stephen, and my daughter-in-law, Rachel. And um, they've they've been here before, but not like that. So um, it's good to have them in for, for the day. Um they, they lead worship at a church plant outside of Roanoke. And so uh, they were able to take off and, and be down here this weekend. So we got to spend a little time. And so it's, um, it, that's been good. And it's been exciting to, to hang out with them and to, um, to, to share some things. We'll, we'll share some burgers and some grill stuff later on. And, and then they go back. So um, God is using them. In, in that particular context, and, and I'm excited about, about what God's doing in their life, but I'm also excited about what God is doing here. Um, when you look at a, a stage full, a, a platform full of students, children, that are learning about the, the depth of God's love, uh, it is tremendous. Um, it, it's great to see that, and, and you know that they're, they're just learning, they're starting. And so they, they catch that, what is God doing, and, and they start to look for what God is doing around them. And that's a, that's a great place to be. Because in you, you know this, that, that as you go through life and you go through circumstances, you start to miss what God may be doing. You start to kind of overlook or, or don't think about it. Would you agree? You just kind of go through life. You know, whether it's go to a job or, or do the dishes or whatever it happens to be, we kind of look over those things. Well, we live in a world that has created a separation. And it, and it seems, because we talked about this um, years ago, we talked about this idea that as as the world goes and as things start to slide away from what God desires and what God wants to do is there, there would be this separation that would take place between those that follow Christ with a whole heart and those that don't follow Christ. There would be this, this gap that would be widened because as, as the world gets tougher to live in, the call to those that follow Christ is going to be one of those, are you all in or not? Not. And the question would be, would you live that out? If you're all in, live it out. Don't go part way. Don't sit on the fence. Don't go go halfway and say, it's okay. It'll be all right. Because you know that as we continue to go and the society around us continues to deteriorate in a fashion, if it doesn't change drastically by the revival of God's people and God taking a culture and saying, wake up, Unless God does that, then we're going to see this gap continue to widen. And so the question is, how do we look at it? Because we live in a world of accusations. You you don't have to watch news very long and you see the accusation um, held by some and say, you are guilty of this, and, and they go down that road. So we can live in a world of accusation, but we also live in a world of great opportunity. That song was was part of it. How do you want to see the world around you? Do you want to see it in in light of what God sees? Where sin is is so much a a part of a culture and it it disturbs God, it angers God, it it messes with what He desires. we see it as God sees it or do we just kind of cruise along and don't worry about it? So we've got to make that decision of, how we're going to see the world. And uh, we're going to start a series in Psalms this morning, and we're going to go pretty short because obviously we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's going to kind of lead us to this table where there was a decision made and accusations made against a sinless Savior who would voluntarily go to a cross on our behalf and shed His blood. So that we could receive forgiveness, we could get mercy, we could get that which we didn't desire, and by the grace of God, and allow us to have relationship with him, unbroken fellowship. And it's a great place to be. So, So as we go into this, if you would, turn to Psalm 5. That's where we'll be this morning, we'll kind of walk through this, and we'll pick up some other scripture pieces along the way. But Psalm 5. Uh, this is a psalm song, psalm, song, song and song of lament by David. It's one that deals with wickedness, but also deals with trust. And so we're going to look at this, and if you will, would you stand as we read God's word together, and we'll read the first six verses, and we'll kind of get into this this morning very quickly. It says this, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to Thee I do, do I pray. In the morning, O Lord, Thou wilt hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to Thee and eagerly watch. For You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with You. The boastful shall not stand before Your eyes. You do hate those who do iniquity. Thou dost destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. So we're going to stop there, and we'll pick up the rest of the psalm in this in just a moment. Let's let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when we read a psalm like this, and David's words as he penned this, we know that, that you identify with us. And, and Father, as we read David's struggle, Father, it's not hard for us to see ourselves in this, in this voice, in this song. And so, Father, I pray as we do that you will encourage us, that you will draw us to yourself, and, and that you will change us because we've looked at your word and you, we've allowed your word to soak in. And Father, may you do the work in us that only you can do. And so, Father, we trust you with that this morning. We ask that you would work by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So David writes this. It's pretty interesting when you read this to, to understand David. David was a guy who started out being in a position of not king. He was nothing but a shepherd. A shepherd on the backside of a hill, not even considered to be king of Israel. And and yet we find that he gets anointed as king after his brothers are rejected and comes into this place. And as he's recognized for that, he gets chased. And so we we kind of have to look at David's life as one of those, um, he did not pursue the kingship. He did not want to be there, but he was there. He was anointed by God to be there. And so he gets in that spot, and then um, Saul, who is king, before David actually actually takes the throne, chases him. And we read this because in David's life, there are times where David gets accused. He gets chased. He's basically on, on... Um, in a place where he's one where folks are wanting to murder him and he has to survive we know that God has anointed him to be king over Israel and we got to say okay God you're sovereign but how does all this take place within your sovereignty we ask those kind of questions don't we when we see tragedy around us we understand and we we ask the question how does this take place within your control God Or does it seem like you're out of control and don't have a hand on this? And so David writes this, and it's interesting what he writes. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Basically, God, hear my complaint. Would you hear this? Like, like perk up your ears to me, God. And then he says, heed the sound of my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. And so David immediately says, God, you are the source of truth. God is a reliable source of truth for us. So immediately David goes to God and says, God, hear me. Don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm coming to you for help. And then in verse 3 it says, in the morning, O Lord, thou will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. Now, I don't think it's real unusual to maybe get up in the morning and pray. For for several, for several of us, we may get up in the morning and we may find that cup of coffee because that's where you start, right? Start at the coffee pot and move over. And it, so you may start there, then you go find that spot and you may have that time where you just sit down and you start reading God's word and you pray. And you say, God, take this day Use me. Do whatever you want. So we may get to that spot. But when David writes this, it's interesting what he writes. Because he writes with such a confidence. When we go to God in the morning, do you have a confidence in going to that same God that we read about in Scripture? That's the question. So David approaches God with a confidence. He said, Give ears to my word. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry. Because I'm praying. In the morning, I'm getting up and praying, and I'm ordering my words. It's it, And I've told you this already. I'm a checkbox kind of guy, so so he's ordering his words. He gets that. And he goes before God, and he says, God, I'm going to lay it out for you. He's going to lay it out. But this is what I'm going to do. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee, and then eagerly watch. I think that those are some of the the greatest words in all of scripture right there I will eagerly watch and what does that mean for David if David's complaining and struggling with the circumstances that are around him and he's kind of in that place where God I want to give you my life and I want to to lay it before you and and I want you to work when he says I will eagerly watch it means what he's expecting God to do something he's expecting God to do something He's not sitting back going, I pray to you, God, and I'm leaving it with you, and then I'm walking away, and I'm not even going to be observant. He says, I'm going to eagerly watch. So as bad as it is around me, I want to see your hand at work. He says, I'm going to lay it out, and then I'm going to watch to see what you do. He comes before God with, with a confidence. And then it says, for thou... Are a god who takes pl- not a god who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with thee. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You do you do hate all who do iniquity. So so he lays out this prayer. He says, "I'm going to watch," and then he begins to describe those that are picking on him, that are bullying him, that are chasing him. And he says, "This is what I see." I see these folks, but let me remind you, God, of who you are. Not that God needed to be reminded. He says, you're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with thee. God is a holy God. He's a pure God. And we have to come before him understanding that. When the children were up here singing and Wayne was sharing, one of the things that's really important for us to understand is that Jesus was sinless. There was no sin in him at all. And so when we talk about Jesus came and he gave his life, he was put on a cross as a common criminal, we're not saying that he was guilty of something, that he deserved to be on that cross because of something he did. He went to that cross voluntarily, not needing to be on that cross, except by the power and the authority of God. I don't want want us to miss that. The sinless lamb went to the cross on our behalf and voluntarily shed his blood so that we could have relationship with God. It's very simple. So, holy God abhors wickedness, does not take pleasure in any form or fashion in it. He doesn't go, I see that, but I'm just gonna kind of turn a blind eye to that not what God does. And so David is reminding God that, God, you are a God of holiness, and your character doesn't change. So at one point, you can't say it's okay to sin. Another point, it's not okay to sin. God, you are consistent. It's never okay to sin. And sin always breaks the relationship between man and God. And so David's reminding God, God, you are consistent. And your character is pure. And you don't like any wickedness. You do hate all those who do iniquity. And that's a strong word. It's a real strong word. So when he writes that, we have to say, okay, God, do you not like people that sin? Because all of us in this room sin, don't we? We're all in that boat. I mean, Scripture describes us as sinners, says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our state. That's our natural, the natural part of us. Paul says in Romans 7, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, because the flesh is still battling within me. But then we get to chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Something changes. And so as much as David is reminding God, God, you are pure. There is no wickedness in you. And in, G- in Jesus, there is sinlessness and purity. We are reminded that sin gets in the way of our relationship with him and we need help. We're a people that are in desperate need of help. And because God loves us, he sent his son to die on our behalf. It says, you do destroy all those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. We live in a world of falsehood, don't we? We live in a world where there's lies that come at us. Uh, I, was, uh, I was watching the, the kids in that part about um, that story in Genesis where sin entered in and the snake and the, you know, they were doing the, the whole, all that. I'm not doing hand motions. I don't do hand motions. That's why I learned to play guitar so I wouldn't have to do hand motions. And so that, that whole idea. But we, we fall and fall for deceit and falsehood. So what would, what would those be? Be things like there is no hell. That would be something that, that somebody would say. I don't believe there's a hell. So if you were to say, well, you're going to go to hell if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that's where you're going to end up for eternity, a place of torment and punishment, separation from God. If I don't believe in it, it's no big deal, is it? So there'll be people that'll say, there is not a hell. Jesus didn't agree with that. Jesus was very clear. There is a hell. It is real. It is a real place. And those that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ are going to end up in that place. Francis Chan said this, we cannot compromise the more difficult attributes of God to make room for the palatable ones. Let that sink in for just a minute. We can sing and we can talk about the love of God but if we take the love of God, and don't look at the wrath of God and in the same, at the same time, we miss the meaning of the cross. Both. Hell is real. And so the falsehood, the lie that there is no hell can't be trusted. The second falsehood that we may hear is there's no need for a savior, that I'll be okay. Everything will be all right. All right. And and we may go through that, I think I'll make it. I think I can survive this. Well, apart from Christ, you're not okay. Apart from Christ, you're destined for eternity in that place called hell. So the second false is that there's no need for a savior. The third one is I can live this Christian life, and this is where it gets into those of us that may say we're believers, I can live this Christian life in isolation. You can't. God designed us to live in community. And so this this whole idea of I can I can stay at home and watch TV or I can I don't have to go to church or I don't have to be part of a church, it's it's a lie, it's a falsehood that we may we may believe. God designed us to live in community to encourage one another and to lift one another up. To come alongside somebody who's struggling with sin and say, "You I want to come beside you and I want to help you work through this and to follow Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're sitting at home, you will tell yourself it's okay. And so there's no isolation in being a Christian. You cannot do this apart from the living community called the church. To the gospel, this relationship that, that we talk about where God, being a reliable source of truth, and truth being laid out there, that God loves us, but He's also a holy God, is something we have to look at. We can't cannot ignore it. This gospel and a relationship with God is personal. It's not just corporate. at okay, everything will be okay. Everybody will be okay. It's a personal thing. the The easiest way to explain this is is to talk about when we, when we say the words, I love you. Now, I can tell y'all, I love you. You go, okay, alright, it's alright. I, I marginally believe that. But if, I, but if I walk up to Stephen or Debbie or Rachel and I, I do a one-on-one, eye-to-eye, I love you, then it means more. It's personal. It's a one-on-one. And so, your relationship with God is like that. Is that God says, I love the world, but I love you. And I was willing to go to the cross for you. Not that it's about you, but it's about my love for you, it's about my character and my character being in you. And so, the, the gospel, this whole idea of receiving Christ and receiving forgiveness is personal, not just corporate. The second part of today, not only is God a reliable source of truth, but God is an enduring source of life. Listen to what it says starting in verse 7. But as for me, by thine abundant loving kindness I will enter thy house. At thy at the holy temple I will bow in reverence for thee. O Lord, lead me in thy righteousness because of my foes. Make thy way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say, and their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices let them fall, In the multitude of their transgressions thrust them out for they are rebellious against thee. Then in verse 11, he says, but let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and mayest thou shelter them, and those who love thy name may exalt in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord. Thou dost surround him with favor as with a shield. There's good news in that. Because we see in that this, this idea that it's personal for David. And he, and he looks at it and he says, I've got all this accusation coming in. And let me describe who they are. They are ones that, that their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave and they flatter with their tongue. Those aren't kind words. I said that to you, you may want to punch me. But that's how he describes That's how he describes those that are accusing him. He says, everything that's within them is decaying. And they are so far away from you, God. But he says, as for me, lead me in thy righteousness. I want to hang out in your your temple. And the, the whole idea was his presence. When David says, I want to hang out in your holy temple, he's basically saying, I want to hang out in your presence. I want to be there. Wherever you are at, I want to be there. Granted, there are times in our life where we say, God, I want to be with you all the time, but if you will just stay over there while I do this, I'd be okay. Because we know it doesn't please God. So we have to be really careful. So David says, okay, I've got these accusations coming in. How are they going to see me? Are they going to have the same idea of me as I have of them as we compare our lives to who God is? Because the comparison is not the person sitting next to you. The comparison is, what is your life compared to who God is? So when David writes this, he basically says, God, I know who you are, I know who they are, and I want to hang out with you. I want to be with you. And then in verse 11 says, But all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them sing for joy, and may sh- that you may shelter them, and those who love you may exalt in you or in thee. Here's, here's what it comes down to. If we believe God is in control and he's not silent or idle, then my steps of obedience in the face of accusation or opposition is nothing but an expression of faith, brings joy, and ultimately glorifies the Father. So did you catch it? If I believe God is in control and he's going to act, he's not idle, then when I follow him, regardless of the circumstances around me, if I follow him, I'm expressing my faith and ultimately bringing glory to God the Father. Proverbs thirteen six says, Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner or turns his world upside down. So our striving may be to follow God with all that we are and say, God, would you impose your righteousness on me? The scripture's clear that Jesus demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The idea is that, that he became sin so that we would become his righteousness. That's an awesome place to be. So God, live out your righteousness through me. Allow me to be so submitted to the Holy Spirit that what what people would see as they bring accusation and the circumstances around me seem to fall apart, let them see Christ. And in that way, proclaim who you are. Our life, real life, is wrapped up in who Jesus is in following him and allowing him to do what only he can do. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He's not only the source of truth, he's the source of life, and he's trustworthy. David knew that, and he said, for it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord, and he surrounds him with favor as with a shield. What a great place to be. You remember, David is getting accused. David is getting chased. But when David can say, oh, God, you bless the righteous man. Help me to be that person. And he says, you surround that person with favor as with a shield. God, you're in control. You're sovereign over that life. So God, help me to trust you with all that I am. In God, there is no lie, no deceit, no falsehood, no pretending. None of that's in God. God lays it out and says, I am a holy God, but I want to offer my love to you through the cross. Will you accept my gift? Will you accept my invitation? That's what God lays out for us. Francis Chan also said this. He said, hell magnifies the beauty of the cross. What a statement because if we understand that that hell is as bad as what scripture says it is that if you spend eternity there you'll be forever wanting just that someone to come with a touch of water for the tip of your tongue as relief you know the story you might know the story it's so the one that says, if you will just come and touch my tongue, just give me a drop of water. It will bring relief to me. And and yet, that's, and that's the description of hell. And when we look at that compared to what Jesus did on the cross and what he offers, we look at the cross and say, the cross in all of its grossness, in all of its pain, all of its agony, all of the blood, all the splinters, all those things that... When we look at the cross, we say, that's ugly. For the believer, it's nothing but beauty because it means life for us. It means that we can experience life that goes beyond this life and the circumstances of this life, but we can experience eternal life. So the question is, what will we do with the invitation of God? Hebrews 12 Hebrews 12, starting at verse 1, describes Jesus and describes who he is and how he handled the grossness of the cross for our benefit. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, that that thing which weighs us down, and the sin which so easily entangles us, our propensity to to chase that which we don't need, which is um, offensive to God. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, for consider Jesus, Who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And the writer of Hebrews wrote this. His encouragement was to run after God. To look to Jesus and understand that Jesus gave all that he was on that cross for our benefit. For our salvation. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but the invitation's there for us to receive it. So would you close your eyes? We're going to pray. And then in a few moments, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, we come before you this morning and Sometimes it is a great mystery how, as to how you work. And Father, we know this. That you loved us enough to send your only son to die for us. To go to a cross and accept the punishment that was meant for us. And God, you ask us to admit that we sin. that 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 sin separates us from you. Then you ask us to believe and trust you with all that we are, that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. And then God, you give us that invitation and say, will you confess me? Will you agree with me that you not only need that, but at this point you are trusting with your life. so God, you invite us to freedom, to see the world as you see it and to live it out with, with a relationship with you like, like no other relationship. And so, God, I pray for those that may not know you this morning. God, as that invitation is given in, in a little bit, I pray they will, that you will draw them to yourself and they will say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. For those of us that have a relationship with you, Father, that we would be in that place where we remind ourselves of what you did on the cross and recommit our lives to living out your righteousness before a world that doesn't know you. And so, God, we ask that you would work. We thank you for the ability and the opportunity to share the Lord's Supper together, that we may be reminded of what you did for us and how, you, how much you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.